0: You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. This week, we're gonna be celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday, and so in light of this, I thought it would be timely to close out this Dear Formation series, considering the spiritual practice of gratitude. And so this morning, we're gonna sit with Psalm 100, and so if you wanna get a head start uh, in your Bible, that's where we're gonna be is Psalm 100. And this was a song that was written to help position the people of Israel's hearts for the sacrifice of thanksgiving that was prescribed to them in Leviticus chapter seven. And as you probably know, even then, the Jewish people's expression of faith was filled with far more ritual than ours is. And, And I've found that sometimes ritual gets a really bad rep. We equate it with redundantly going through motions in a way that misses our hearts. But the truth is when when it's viewed accurately, rituals are meant to help us remember what we are prone to forget, which is an incredibly biblical idea because one of the most common commands, I believe the second most common command in scripture is the command to remember. And the reason that that command is so frequent throughout the scriptures is because we are a people that are prone to forget. And so these rituals were meant to focus their hearts and their minds on things that they were prone to neglect and the same thing can be true for us today. And so for them, this sacrifice of thanksgiving was meant to remind God's people of who he was, to remind them of what he was like and to remind them of everything that he had done for them. And the truth is, we need to be pointed to God's goodness just as much today as Israel did all the way back then. And here's why. Even though we have an almost endless number of reasons for immense gratitude, we tend to, as a people group and as a culture, experience far more dread and even despair than we do gratitude. And I would argue that this has everything to do with where we deliberately choose to fix our attention. See, because the difficulty in our lives is unrelenting, and oftentimes very, very uncomfortable, we are aware of it automatically. So you don't have to like, you don't have to search for things to cause you dread in this world. It tends to just have a way of finding you. You don't have to practice mindfulness to see it or to feel it. You just simply go through life and it takes no effort to find things to dread. But gratitude is entirely different. Gratitude has to be nurtured. And so I want you to think about it like this. Dread and despair are kind of like weeds. They are aggressive. They grow very, very quickly. And they consume everything around them. And all of that happens. If you have any amount of outdoor space where you live, you know all of that happens without any help from you. You've never had to do anything to cultivate the weeds around your house. They just happen. All you do is neglect them and they take over. But gratitude is not like that. Gratitude is like a flower that needs to be nurtured, and apart from nurturing it and caring for it, it dies, and the weeds of dread and despair take over. And when dread and despair poison our hearts, it's complaining that begins to fill our mouths. And so here's the big idea that we want to explore this morning, and and I think it's relatively simple, but I think it's a really sizable and significant claim. And here's what it is. Every season is marked by reason for worship and gratitude. Every season of your life that you ever find yourself in, no matter how good or bad, the highs, the lows, every single season is marked by reason for worship and gratitude. So that means that no matter how things feel, And no matter what we are facing, worship and gratitude are always appropriate responses. But again, they are usually not our automatic responses. And so if we want them to become more normative, we have to learn how to actually nurture these two things inside of us. And this, again, has everything to do with where we fix our attention. The problem is we allow ourselves to be consumed by despair instead of contemplating the nature of God. And so the question this morning is, how do we make this shift From despair to gratitude. And Psalm 100 invites us to consider two things. So if you're taking notes, make a note of this first one. Number one, worship spills from the heart held by God. Worship spills from the heart held by God. Look with me at verse one. The psalmist writes this, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. So, if you read these verses closely, one thing that you're going to notice is that there are seven imperatives that fill these five verses and we just read four of them. Uh, Shout, serve, which the Hebrew word that we translate as serve there is probably better translated as worship. So shout, serve, come and acknowledge. And I want you to notice that all four of those involved some act of worship. And so first, the psalmist calls the entire earth to shout triumphantly to the Lord. And if you think about it, We don't do that very much in our, like it'd be a little weird, I think, if we just were in this little room and started shouting together. I'm not gonna ask you to do that. But it is an almost involuntary response to victory. So when your favorite team wins or scores, or when your favorite band takes the stage, there tends to be this involuntary response where we shout or we cheer. And so because God has been victorious in our lives over sin and shame, then, and had been victorious in their lives in so many different ways. They were, and we are called to shout in victory as an act of worship. And secondly, the psalm says, serve the Lord with gladness, meaning he's worthy of worship that are fi- that's filled with feelings of great joy or pleasure rather than just begrudging obligation. Thirdly, he says that we're to come before him with joyful songs. Now, it is very good and very healthy and necessary for us to pray prayers and to sing songs of lament, where we pour out our pain to God. But you know, it's also good and healthy and necessary for us to sing joyful songs. And the reason that we can sing joyful songs, even when life is painful, is because the pain that we experience is always temporary. And then finally, we're called to acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now, this means more than acknowledging his existence, it's about responding to him as he truly is. So I want you to notice here that this psalmist starts with these four imperatives, but then he follows them with the reason why they are the right response. And that's important to pay attention to because the truth is every response requires a reason for it. It's cause and effect. So for instance, a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> our friend Zach was in town, and Tammy was making dinner, and Zach was outside watching my boys skateboard. And after a few minutes, uh, Zach and the boys come quite literally running into our house. And they were like breathing hard, and their faces were red, and they like looked concerned. And just so you know, all of that is relatively uh, uncommon. Uh, They don't usually (laughs) come in like scared, Um, so we didn't know what was going on. uh, But it did look like they'd been running from a ghost. And so what we found out as Zach came back inside, he said that a woman had been walking around our neighborhood telling people that the SWAT team had been called to a house at the end of the street. And so as a result of that, everybody needed to be inside. And so here's my point. When the SWAT team rolls into your otherwise sleepy neighborhood, making it look like a war zone, running inside is the right response. Every response requires a reason for it. And so what reason does the psalmist give us for this worshipful response? Well, he roots it in who we are to God and in who God is to us. He says that we were created by him and that we belong to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture, which means that he cares for us. He provides for us. He nurtures us to become the people that we are created to be. The problem is, we're oftentimes prone to deny the care that God offers to us. So, God offers care. He says, I want to be your God, I want you to be my people. I want to be your shepherd, you will be my sheep, which is what I find so funny about this slogan that has developed over the last few years in evangelicalism that is lions, not lambs. I always read that and I go, "Mm, the Bible would disagree because we are called to be the sheep of his pasture. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But we are prone to deny that care that God offers Rather than sit with him and receive his love, we seek to self-soothe. Rather than trust him, we tend to seek control. Rather than run to him as our shelter and as our refuge, we seek the comfort and the safety that we long for through all of these other means. But in so doing, what ends up happening is that we forfeit the only true care that satisfies our deepest longings. And so the invitation here is not just to shout, serve, come, and acknowledge. The real invitation here is to learn what it looks like and what it feels like to be held by God. Every season is marked by reason for worship and gratitude. And worship will spill forth from the heart that is held by God. Now, the second way that we make this shift from despair to gratitude is this. Gratitude grows in the soil of who God is. Gratitude grows in the soil of who God is. Look at verse four. The psalmist continues and says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. So now we get these final three imperatives. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, give thanks and bless his name. And all three point to acts of gratitude. And this gratitude is rooted in the reality of God's character and his nature, in who he is and what he's like. So he's good, which means that even when our lives feel like they are a mess, God is good, he does good, and he brings good even from that mess. And when we reject God in some way and choose to follow our own plans, his faithful love endures forever. There's nothing that we can do on our end to shake free from the love of God. No matter how unfaithful we are to him, he is never not faithful to us. That's just who he is, and that's why he is always worthy of our gratitude. And so the logic would be as follows. The more time that we spend contemplating the character of God, the more gratitude we will feel. But the trick is we have to learn to lift our eyes and to actually look for it. And so I had a a day just a couple of weeks ago that I just was not really looking forward to. You ever have one of those days you wake up and you're just like, just not pumped about this day. Wish it was tomorrow already. I was having that kind of day. I was tired, had a ton to do. Most of the things I had to do were things I didn't really want to do. Uh, I had a few meetings that I knew were gonna be pretty heavy in their nature. And so I just kind of woke up feeling this like low grade dread about the day. But I got up and got ready, got my kids in the car, and we left for school and for work. And within just moments of leaving our house, I came to this stop sign that was right across the street from one of the many construction sites in our area. And so I'm sitting at this stop sign, looking at this construction site, and I'm just like, this is so ugly. It was just like you, know, you like when they're just on the, on the front end, there's nothing attractive about a construction site. It was muddy, this incomplete mess, sitting in the midst of a gray, depressing morning. I was not off to a good start. But then as I lifted my eyes and looked just above the construction site, the rising sun was casting this stunning red, orange, and peak light all over the mountains. And even in that moment, I was faced with a choice in a quite literal way. I could choose to focus my attention on this hideous construction site and my own sense of dread, or I could lift my eyes to this beautiful sunrise in front of me. And I think that's a pretty apt metaphor for the choice that you and I face every single day. See, God is good. His faithful love does endure forever, and he is only ever faithful. So these things are not in question. The question is always, are we positioning ourselves to see these things and to experience them as true? Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote this. He said, people only see what they're prepared to see. If you look for what is good and what you can be grateful for, you will find it everywhere. Every season is marked by reason for worship and gratitude and gratitude grows in the soil of who God is. So let's finish this by trying to get a little bit more practical. I wanna invite you to consider two very specific behavioral shifts that I believe will help us become more worshipful and more grateful. The first one is this, these aren't gonna be on the screen so you can just write these down if you want them. The first is less doom scrolling, more scripture. Less doom, I feel like maybe I don't even need to elaborate this one, but less doom scrolling, more scripture. Um, There is like a limitless amount of bad news in this world. And this bad news is how our media makes their money. And as we've discussed before, our brains betray us due to something that neuroscientists call negativity bias. Negativity bias, simply put, means that our brains are more naturally drawn to bad news over good news. And the media has exploited this reality, and as a result, studies would show that the proportion of negative headlines spewing outrage and fear has grown dramatically in the last 20 years because it helps take our attention. We are more prone to click on... Want to know how the world's going to end tomorrow? You're like, yeah, I guess I should probably click that one. And then it has something to do with nothing to do with that. But they got your click. And so this is the way that our media has chosen to function. Now, the good news is we don't have to be victims of this. We can, believe it or not, put down our phones. And we can turn off the news. So I would argue it is very important that we be a people who are informed about what is happening in the world. I would also argue that being inundated with everything that is happening all of the time is just absolutely poisonous for us. The reality is we just have access to so much more information than ever before, and our souls are not designed to sustain that amount of bad news all of the time. There was a time when the only bad news you knew about would have been in whatever like, village that you lived in. But now, we can hear about every awful thing that happens in every corner of our country and every corner of our world, and we just can't take all of that in. Which means that we have to bring some intention to how we relate with our media intake. So consider time limits. Consider the sources that you are reading. But most importantly, don't, n- don't neglect the scriptures. So I, I, would, I would argue that most of us are far more shepherded by our phones than we are the Bible. It's one of the most damaging things that we're up against as the modern church. We just spend, just think about it, I just got the Sunday morning, I don't know why it has to come right before church, my screen time limits just because God's like, well, here's something to repent for today. <laughs> <clears throat> I think my average screen time was like over five hours last week. I have no idea what yours is, but my guess is we're all like pretty similar on that. And, and so I didn't spend five hours reading my Bible last week, most likely. I did read it, don't worry. But, but probably not for like five, not, not, not five hours a day, like I'm on my phone. And so we just have to see the effect that has on us and, and we can change this. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In Philippians 4.8, the Apostle Paul wrote from prison saying, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So if we want to shift from despair to gratitude, we need less doom scrolling and more scripture. And the second one is this, less complaining, more encouraging. Less complaining, more encouraging. You know, in Philippians 2.14, this is in my top three most convicting verses in the whole Bible for me, okay? Paul says, do everything without complaining. That's really hard for me because there is so much in this world that I wanna complain about. And And some of you are like this, I am so envious of those of you that seem to be able to move through life and don't seem to be aware of even 1% of the things that annoy me on a daily basis. <laughs> Some people, you just meet them and they're just chill going through and I'm just like, how are you not constantly seething like I am? <clears throat> like I'm out of my house for more than five minutes and I immediately go, well, this was a huge mistake. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know why I do this. And so as a result, complaining And I'll just speak for myself, but I think it's probably not just me. Complaining tends to come pretty easily. The problem is it poisons us and it corrupts others. And as I was thinking about this this morning, I started to think about it like this. I actually think that complaining is a form of functional heresy. I think that complaining is a form of functional heresy because it conveys this alternative reality where God isn't good, where God isn't faithful to love, where he isn't constantly providing us with his care. When we complain, we are spreading messages that are not accurate because they are not the whole story. Now, there there are legitimate evils to lament in this world but lament is different than complaining. Lament ultimately invites us to embrace the entire story, that even though evil exists, God is still at work. And so the way that we can combat our tendency to complain is by shifting to encouragement. We can learn to look for and to draw attention to the good ways in which God is at work. And this can be as simple as something like a beautiful sunrise the sound of a loved one's laughter, a warm bed that you get to sleep in at night. I mean, really just take a moment and imagine the impact of being a community that is committed to encouragement. Think about how few environments in this world are actually encouraging environments and how sad it is that many churches are no different. But we have an opportunity to change that by shifting to being a people of encouragement. So if we wanna shift from despair to gratitude, we need two things, less doom scrolling and more scripture and then less complaining and more encouraging. And so as we close, I wanna acknowledge a resistance that we might feel as we listen to this. And I, I don't think that we resist the invitation to read scripture or to practice encouragement because we disagree with their efficacy where we just think like, I I don't really think that's going to be beneficial. I don't think that'll really help anything. I don't think that's why we resist it. I think that we resist these things because we know in our hearts it's going to require us to slow down because the reality is there's just no hack for this and we love that. And there's no quick fix. There's no way to, to do all of this on the fly all of the time. We have to continue to learn how to slow down and to be with Jesus. And I think this is why gardening is such a strong metaphor for the spiritual life. Because if we're going to nurture and tend to these things, we have to give them time and space and care. And so maybe the most important decision that you could make this week is to designate, even now, a little bit of time each day to be held by God and to contemplate who he is. And I promise you that even though that time will require a sacrifice, it will never be wasted. Every season is marked by reason for worship and gratitude. And so let's pray and ask him to help us slow down and be held by him and have eyes to see who he truly is. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you made us. That we are yours. That we are your people. That we are the sheep of your pastor. And that you provide us with immense care and provision protection. We thank you that you are good, that your faithful love endures and will endure with us forever, that we will never lose that. And we thank you that you never have off days, that you are faithful to us every single day. And Lord, all of that is true, and we are prone to miss it so much of the time. And so we need eyes to see But I also acknowledge, Lord, that it isn't just a matter of you flipping a switch so that we can continue to live at a frantic pace but just see things differently. You invite us to actually slow down, to adopt your way of life, to adopt your pace of life. And it's really, really hard. And so we ask that you would help us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to slow down and to give attention to who you are and what you're like, to really contemplate your character and nature, your goodness toward us. Lord, teach us what it means to really be held by you, what it means for you to truly be our good and perfect father who is our refuge and who is our shelter. And so, Lord, we thank you that you always stand with arms open wide inviting us to yourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to answer that invitation and to run to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.